Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. Really good to be here. Uh, Like Gordon mentioned, I have a ministry, uh, probably one of the more unique ministries that you'll hear about. You might be wondering, why did the kids have to leave? What the heck are we about to talk about? Um, My ministry is helping men overcome porn addiction. And, uh, and so this is a little bit of a sensitive subject, but a really important one. We're going to get into a, a whole bunch of different things today. And I have a special favor to ask just before I get too far into it. I'm going to ask you to put your phones away uh, just for the next 20, 25 minutes, just to give me your undivided attention. We're actually going to use uh, your phones in a little bit, about halfway through. But if you don't mind, just putting your phones away, giving me your undivided attention. This is a really sensitive subject, a really important one, and uh, that'll just help me out a little bit. Well, you might be wondering, why start a ministry? Of all the things you could do a ministry for, uh, of all the kind of work that you could get into, why help people with porn addiction, of all things? Let me give you a little bit of context. I am a fourth-generation pastor. So my dad, granddad, and great-granddad were all pastors. I had other career ambitions, but, um, but somehow I wound up here. I think it's just a little bit too deep in my genes. Um, I grew up in a, a pretty good Christian home. I really had nothing to complain about growing up. The house was safe. My parents were the same people off the stage that they were on it. And my parents even shelled out the money for us to get private Christian education. So we grew up in a little bit of a Christian bubble, I guess you could say, for uh, most of our upbringing. And all that is to say that everything was set up for us to make good decisions in life. I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. This was in 2001. This is before the advent of broadband internet and smartphones and everything else. Um, And it's not that my life came crumbling down the next day, but it just planted a seed. By the time I was in high school, I was watching pornography on a regular basis. And by the time I was in university, pursuing an education, it was just a normal part of my day. I would literally plan my days around when I was going to watch and what I was going to watch. Porn served two purposes. It was my relief to cope with the cares of life. Life is challenging. Pursuing an education was stressful. But it was my reward. It was, it was the only kind of uh, gratification that I could get in that stage of my life. You know, when you pursue an education, you just don't get a lot of instant rewards for your hard work. So that was my life. That was, that was what I had planned things around. Now, I was not rebellious. I was volunteering at church. I was active on worship teams. I would even preach a little bit from time to time. But all the while had kind of this secret, hidden thing in my life that I did not know how to cope with. And always told myself in classic fashion, one day I'll figure it out. I'm sure it'll be fine. And as time went on, I became more frustrated, just you know, trying, trying to get this thing out of my life. And what catalyzed a lot of it was actually in the middle of my degree. I was studying biology, and I was in a rather anti-God environment. The idea of believing in God was kind of mocked, and that drove me to really dig in to, to decide why do I believe what I believe, and do I want to continue to believe what I believe? And in that process, I found Jesus. It's another story for another day. But I knew that when I committed my life to Christ, I had to start cleaning things up. And so I did what they tell you to do. You know, I reached out, I got some resources, I talked to a trusted leader or two, and all the information was get an internet filter, find an accountability partner, pray more, read your Bible more. And so I did all those things. And I I was diligent. It was not a half-hearted effort, 
But it felt like no matter how hard I tried, I could not break free. I really could not. I found myself in what researchers would call the binge purge cycle, what I like to call from a Christian perspective, the binge repentance cycle. You may be familiar with it. It's when you do the thing that you know you don't want to do, and after you do it, it feels so terrible, so you repent to God, say, God, I'm so sorry. This feels so terrible. I will never do this again because it feels so bad in this moment. I will remember this. I'll never do it again. But of course, the moment wears off, and as a little bit of time passes, you find yourself, again, doing the thing you said you would never do. The binge repentance cycle. That's, that's patented. You can use that. You have my permission. I, I eventually found some things that actually did help, some things that, that pushed the needle forward. And they were not things that people were discussing in a mainstream avenue. And so I made just a little promise in my heart that one day I will get free and I'll do everything in my power to help as many other people as possible get free as well. Just made a little decision, you know. In February 2016, I had my last relapse. Um, I didn't know it at the time. You know, I, I had longer bouts without it. Um, but I haven't looked back since. It's been six and a half years. In December 2018, I was when I felt like God had released me to, to start helping guys in this area. And I have an organization called Deep Clean now, and this is what I get to do full time. Um, we serve clients all around the world. We're in 15 countries, hundreds of clients, and really just seeing breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough happen in all kinds of people's lives. It's really amazing. Thanks. Thank you. So why start a business to help guys get free of porn? Because Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride, one without blemish. 35% of all downloads on the internet are pornographic in nature. In the time it takes me to complete just this sentence, the porn industry has made roughly 10,000 US dollars. Their annual revenue year over year is more than the NBA, NFL, and MLB combined. By the time somebody turns 18 today, there's a 93% chance that they have watched porn on multiple occasions in the last six months. 93%. The other 7% probably don't have electricity. This is, this is an epidemic. COVID has passed. It's a pandemic. It will come and go. But this has been around a lot longer. And unless things turn around, there's actually not an end in sight. When one person in a marriage watches porn, the chances of divorce increase by 56%. Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. And in my humble opinion, I think we have a little bit of work to do. And so my goal today is to uh, share with you some of the tenets, some of the things that have been pushing the needle forward, like I said, in the lives of people all around the world, whether porn is your issue or, or maybe it's um, something else sexual in nature and maybe it's even broader than that. These principles will be applicable and I, I stand by them. They're the things that have changed my life and I know they can change yours too if you listen carefully. Let me set the stage a little bit. When I say Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride, the, the operative term is holiness. Now, if you were to comb the prophetic words of old that point to our day and our age, 
If you were to talk to any man or woman of God, any faith leader today about the coming moves of God, what's the next thing that he's doing? Even the founders of, of this church, John and Carol Arnott, for years now, have been trumpeting one single message for the most part, and that is the message of holiness. He is coming back for a spotless bride. And the, the onus is on us to get ready, to walk in holiness, to step more into it. Holiness is the essence of Jesus. It's the essence of Christ. It is not an attribute of God. It's not a quality. It is his nature. So when you and I, as the body of Christ, are expressing holiness, when we're walking in holiness, we are accurately expressing the nature of Christ. Listen carefully. Holiness stands on two legs. Righteousness and relationship. Righteousness, the, the lines, the do's and the do-nots, the, the clear boundaries for what is appropriate and what is not. We, we know this well instinctively. Even if you're not a Christian and you don't have faith, there, there is a morality that, that draws us into this arena and that tells us what is right and what is wrong. That's only one side of the equation, though. The idea is that our, our right doing and our avoidance of wrongdoing is undergirded by relationship. Fluid, dynamic, intimate connection with God. In its purest expression, holiness is righteousness and relationship expressed in equal measure. That part's really important. If you can imagine somebody who walks with one leg shorter than the other, eventually with time, it causes inflammation, injury, and maybe most devastating of all, immobility. The, the inability to move forward the way you were meant to. And much of the body of Christ is impaired, hindered, immobile, because they have distorted the balance of righteousness and relationship in this holiness conversation. I didn't mention it earlier, but the stats, in case you were wondering, the stats of porn consumption and the uh, detrimental effects of porn in the church and outside the church are the same. You would think, well, surely, surely as the church, we would have things a little bit more together. The surveys tell a different story. So this is for all of us. Nobody is exempt. We, as the, the capital B, Bride of Christ, we all owe it to ourselves to walk in greater measures of holiness, righteousness, and relationship. Uh, my upbringing was really a, an emphasis on the righteousness part, the do's and the do-nots. And it was, very, it was made very clear, you know, um, what you were supposed to do, what you were not supposed to do. And you would kind of get shamed if you did the bad thing and celebrated if you did the right things. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Righteousness is obviously, like I said, a part of this equation. But when righteousness is overemphasized, it becomes religion. Don't watch porn. Don't have sex before marriage. You're told what to do, but nobody explains to you why. And so all you can do is force yourself to try to do the right thing without any context without any joy in the process. You just have to try to will yourself into it. That's what I used to do. Just tried to white knuckle it as best as I could. It's very hard for a brown man to white knuckle it. 
It's a lot of work. So when righteousness is overemphasized, it's religion. In, in classic human fashion, we have observed that we, we know we should not be over, something is not right, we shouldn't be overemphasizing that. Yes, it's important, but in the last maybe 20, 30 years in the body of Christ, you have heard it's, it's not about religion, it's about? Right, it's about relationships. So we know this. It's, it's about that seamless connection. Here's the thing. It, in, in, again, like I said, in classic human fashion, when you overreact to something that's been overdone, typically what happens is you just overdo it in the other direction. When relationship is overemphasized, it becomes hypergrace. Well, God loves you anyway. So righteousness overemphasized is religion. Relationship overemphasized is hypergrace. And our mandate is to walk in holiness both in equal measure. Does that make sense? So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a couple of the pillars that have helped uh, myself, that are helping people walk in greater measures of holiness. One of my personal frustrations around this subject has been the lack of practicality. And so we don't have tons of time, but I'm going to do my best to be a little bit practical and to give you some things that you can start applying today. Now, I will be upfront with you. I don't have time to do all three of them. Um, they're, they're weighty subjects, but I do want you to get all three. There's one in particular that I'm going to focus on, but I'm going to have the guys just throw up a slide there. And if you want to get all three and you want to learn the system that we walk our guys through, you can just scan that QR code. Now, I mentioned that you guys would be using your phones. So I'd like every single one of you to grab your phone and scan the QR code. Now, it's not so that you can get the book. It's a free download. It's because there's people in this room who need that book who won't do it because they don't want to be singled out. This is a sensitive subject. So I'm asking you to just take your phone out, do whatever you want with it, but give the people a chance around you to do this without feeling ashamed or embarrassed. Thank you. I see you guys doing it. Okay, that's my book. It's called The Last Relapse, um, and that, that QR code is going to get you a free download. And it'll, it'll walk you through these pillars and these different tenets in a lot more detail than I can do today. But we will go through these a little bit, okay? All right. Each of these pillars has a proverb, something that goes with it to help us kind of understand the essence of it. Our first pillar is self-awareness. It's fascinating to me how many people struggle and they don't know why. It's because they lack self-awareness. If you keep doing the thing you don't want to do and you don't know why you do it, it's because you lack the self-awareness. Everything in our external life is a manifestation of the internal. We know this. So if there's problems externally, it is because there are problems internally. And the only way you identify them and resolve them is by building self-awareness. Now, our proverb for self-awareness is this. If you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. If you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for from it flow the issues of life. You can't guard something without paying diligent attention to it. And that is the idea, is that we increase our self-awareness day in and day out. I just finished working with, uh, with a professional basketball player, college basketball star, drafted into the NBA, played for, I think, seven or eight seasons. 
and he came to me in crisis. Transitioned out of his career and was starting to, um, to you know, I guess settle into maybe a, a bit of a more normal life. Had married the girl of his dreams and the girl had told him, hey, just so you know, I consider porn cheating and if it's in your life, we can't get married. Or it has to get out of your life if you would like to get married. That's a good girl. I respect that, that's good. So he came to me in crisis because porn was in his life and he didn't know how he was gonna get rid of it. So we started to just ask some questions. Okay, when, you know, what's, what's going on? When you're, when you're giving in, what, what's the issue? Well, you know, I'm stressed and just, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty in my life right now. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's great. But those are all external explanations. What's going on within? What are the feelings? What are the emotions? What are the beliefs? Paradigms, perceptions, blank face. So we, we just started to give him some skills, just some basic skills, journaling, learning how to, how to talk and express himself, just trying to, to teach him how to kind of sharpen that self-awareness muscle. And with time, what happens as you cultivate self-awareness is instead of being caught between a rock and a hard place of like, am I going to give in to the temptation or am I not, you can actually get upstream and nip it in the bud before you ever get into that place. So as he built self-awareness, he started to relapse less frequently. And he's happily engaged and getting married next month. I think that's worth clapping for. It's the power of cultivating self-awareness. If you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. Our second pillar is healing of the heart. And nothing was more transformational for me than, than healing of the heart. And most of it happened just 200 feet that way at the School of Ministry, 268 Atwell. That's where my life turned around. And if you haven't done one of the schools yet, the leader school um, or any of the other schools that they offer, you need to. This is, this is where you will experience the most transformation in your life. I can pretty much promise that. Our proverb for healing of the heart is something I actually learned from a teacher there, Rick DeRazio, and it is this. He who is most vulnerable heals the quickest. So if you're interested in healing the matters of the heart, it's simple. You must walk in regular transparency. I don't really like vulnerability anymore because it's kind of overused. We'll use transparency. That's the idea, is that we are seen and known on a regular basis. If 95% of your life is in order and you still have 5% left, how could you ever be considered a spotless bride? All of it. He who is most vulnerable heals quickest. We had a guy come to us, uh, his name is Michael. He's given me permission to use his name. Michael's in his late 60s, had a five-decade-long addiction to pornography. Now, a lot of young people maybe don't realize what happens when something like this exists in your life for a long period of time. For Michael, it led to an affair, and then another affair. And in his language, he would cheat on his wife at every opportunity he could get. When he came to me, he hadn't watched porn in a year because he got caught and he decided to stop doing that. And he was miserable. Because anytime you modify behavior without transforming the heart, there's no joy in the process. That's the marker of behavior modification, the absence of joy. So we just went through a process of teaching him how to open up, how to express himself, how to get in touch with feelings and emotions and everything else that was going on within. And little by little, he started to soften up. And now he has honest conversations with his wife, with his mom, his mother-in-law, 
and it's uncomfortable sometimes, but he's, he's stepping into it. He's experiencing that healing because he's actually seen and known. And the difference now is that there's joy in the process. That's everything. Our third pillar is identity. And this is arguably the most important subject of the three. You don't have to look that far around in our society today to see that identity is one of the most attacked and confusing subjects in our society. People are just confused. What is, like, what is identity? Who am I? Why am I here? And, and the, the idea of identity is that we are radically set and confident in the people God has made us to be. I'm going to illustrate this one using scripture, uh, specifically the story of Jesus' baptism out of Luke 3. And I'm going to summarize a little bit just to kind of give you some context. Jesus is, is baptized, you know, at about the age of 30. And the baptism is not just a, a, a day in the life. It is actually the inauguration into full-time ministry. When Jesus is baptized, the heavens rend, and a voice from heaven comes saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus is then led by the Spirit into the wilderness, that's chapter 4, verse 1, where he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. And when that time is over, the enemy, the adversary, comes to tempt him. Now, he actually tempts him three times. And the first temptation, the enemy says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. That's pretty understandable. After 40 days, Jesus could just make a little chow, you know, yam it down, and he's good to go. And so we think the temptation is for Jesus to make food, to, you know, perform a little magic trick and turn some stones into bread. Not so. The enemy started his statement with, if you are the son of God. But when Jesus was baptized, he was already told by his father in heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. The temptation was not to turn stones into bread. The temptation was for Jesus to believe that he had to prove who he was when the father had already proven it. If you are the son of God, anything after that statement that he partners with comes in inferiorly to the statement that the Father had spoken over him. So if Jesus actually exercises his power and turns the stones into bread, he wins the battle, but he loses the war. See, this, this identity thing is not about talking about how great you are. It, it doesn't matter what it looks like. The point is that at an internal level, you are so fundamentally aware of who you are that you're not swayed to prove yourself in any direction or any facet of your life. And this was the life that Jesus modeled because he knew who he was. He walked in identity. Now, I wanted to share a story with you about this one. And um, there was actually somebody who was in our program not too long ago who attends this church and had an incredible breakthrough in this area. I asked him if he'd be willing to share and um, he humbly agreed. So I'm going to invite him. You can come on up. And what we're going to do is I want you to just listen a little bit firsthand of what happens when somebody's identity starts to be impacted. And as he comes up, please give him a round of applause. This takes a lot of courage. Come on. That's it. That's it. Go on. All right, so this is LaShawn. And uh, LaShawn had the kahunas 
to step on this stage and share a little bit of his story. So um, we'll go right into it, man. Uh, tell us a little bit about your life, maybe about eight months, a year ago. What were some of the challenges you were facing? First of all, uh, hello, church. Um, it was, uh, I actually had a very uh, tough time because I struggled with this for 20 years. That's like more than half of my life. Um, I had a lot of issues with uh, my personal identity. Not only that, about my sexual identity as well. Um, I had a very uh, rough childhood. Like, had, like when I was a kid, had like a, I was being sexually molested and abused and things happened like that. So that kind of brought a, uh, I believe that brought a lot of uh, uh, issues and pain and there was a mark and I felt that was a root cause also. Yeah. So I thought I had to live with this for the rest of my life. I tried everything that the, uh, it mentioned outside about like internet, like filter, like, you know, setting up a filter, accountability partners. I tried everything for 20 years and I was hopeless. I had, uh, I had no idea how to overcome this and I struggled a lot with this yeah. because the addiction was so big, it actually controlled me. And I had no idea because it tell, like it makes me like in a way like it tell like whenever it wants like to watch porn, like I will go watch porn like that. Yeah. And it was pretty big in my life. And not only that, it did brought a lot of issues in my family life. Like me, uh, me and my wife, we've been newly married and I thought the, um, what, okay, everything is gonna be okay once I got married. Things gonna change. Okay, I was addicted because I was maybe it was alone, and that actually was not true. Yeah. Once I got married, it actually created more deep issues, like especially intimacy with my wife, and um, like my like I love my wife, and like uh, she's a she's a beautiful woman, but at the same time, things start bringing into my head like. And at one point, I felt like I was not attracted to her. Yeah. And there are so many times in my mind, I was, I wanted to cheat, like, on the marriage. Like, I'm like, you know, because all these things was really affecting my life. And I was like, I wanted to cheat. I want to do things what others do. Yeah. Like, in a point, because it was, it was heavily controlled. And I felt it was a strong, like, it was a stronghold in there. And that was a big deal. Let me pause you for a sec. This, this scenario is actually very common, just so you know. Um, a lot of guys think that when they're married, engaging sexually on a regular basis, it fixes all the problems. Marriage is a magnifier. If the problem's there before, it's gonna be there after, just in larger form. And so this is, um, thank you. Thanks for sharing so honestly. What, what's been the change? What, what was it that, that really, I guess, flipped the switch for you the last six months or so? The biggest change that happened in my life was like, after I realized this is a sin and it's an issue, and what restored was actually my personal identity. Because that's the biggest thing, because mm. I thought I will never overcome. I thought I will never win this war and battle. Like, it brought me, uh, it restored my uh, identity, 
yeah. especially the sexual identity as well. Mm. And it, it, uh, it, uh, the biggest thing was actually shame, fear, and like anger, and all these things like disappeared in a way. Uh, the most important thing that I saw was actually like the guilt and the, like that I have, will have. Like I would speak to people or I will talk to people, but enemy always used to bring that guilt yes. in my heart to say, no, you're not worthy enough. You're not strong enough. You're not worthy enough. Remember you sin. This is something was going on in my life. And the, I was completely healed as soon as like God came and did what he has to do. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. So, so really brief, um, What's, what are the benefactors? Like, what's changed in your life now that you've, you've had this kind of breakthrough and you've had this freedom? A lot of things changed. Um, like, I, it was actually, my wife was the first person actually uh, realized about the change in me. She was like, you're not the same anymore. And the changes was like, like, you're not, like, in a way, my personality, like, my attitude, my discipline, I won't get angry at her anymore. Like, you know, for small reason, I'm not annoyed. Like, all these things, like, she really realized. Hmm. And that actually brought a lot of things. I was like, like, yes, like, you know, start identifying, like, issues. Like, it was actually a very big deal to me because... Um, uh, because like most of the problems started like happening after the marriage and yes. when she started realizing those things she was like Lishan like I see the difference in you and the change that made me to think like I'm in the right direction because one thing I had to remember this particular sin is done secretly in a dark place yeah. like and you need to bring this into the light so that you will get healed and you need to be more vulnerable and you need to identify there is a crisis here. I know that outside the world is like social media and the world speaks about it's okay, but it's actually not okay. Yeah. And if God can really heal me 20 years of a struggle that I had, he can do the same thing for Come you. On. Yes. Amen. 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 Give him, give him, a, give him a hand. It took a lot of courage. That's amazing. You you wouldn't you wouldn't do that unless you knew who you were. The the proverb that we use in our community for identity is I would rather be a hundred percent my true self and rejected than eighty percent my true self and accepted. It, it's just it's it's learning who you are and not apologizing for it. Being willing to deal with the ramifications and the consequences if it means you can boldly and authentically express the person that God's made you to be. It's the natural byproduct of cultivating self-awareness and healing the heart. You start to love yourself and then you start to make different decisions as a result. You know, there's multiple times in scripture where the statement, be holy as I am holy, is uttered. It started in Leviticus, but uh, Paul, even in his writing, uh, re-quoted it, re-quoted it. 
And typically, you know, preachers have pounded their fist on the pulpit, be holy as I am holy, this kind of magnificent statement, setting a bar and saying, you know, try to hit it and all the best. It is an instruction. It's something that we must walk in as we're talking about today. But I want to just remind you, just really quickly, anything that is instructional in scripture is equally invitational. It would be cruel of God to set a standard that we could not hit. It must be possible if it's there. It's on you and I to figure out how. Why don't you guys stand? I, I love what LaShawn said, you know, if it could happen for him, why not you? The, the stats are clear. There's, there's people in the room who need a breakthrough in this area this morning. And I want to invite you to just be a little bit radically bold, just to be a little bit vulnerable because he who is most vulnerable heals the quickest. The altar's open at the front here. And if you need to get right, if, if there's some area, maybe 99% is in order, but there's the 1%, this is your chance. Come forward now. It could be pornography. It could be something else. It could be completely unrelated to anything sexual at all. But I want, I want to invite you just to be bold, just to be a little bit brave and get your breakthrough this morning. God loves rewarding bravery. It's awesome. Awesome. It's open, guys. The altar's open. Now is the time. He is coming back for a spotless bride, and we would be wise to do our part in it. It's awesome. The second thing, you guys can keep coming up. The second thing, though, remember, this is not about individual breakthrough. This is actually about the Bride of Christ, capital B, all of us around the world preparing ourselves for the coming of the Bridegroom, all of us together. So we applaud the people who were brave enough, but the reality is it's all on us as well. We have to do our part walking in holiness. So what I want you to do is just take your hand, put it on the shoulder or the back of the person beside you, and we're going to take a couple minutes and we're just going to pray that God would reveal radical holiness, radical boldness, that he would give us opportunities to be transparent that we may be healed, that he would increase our self-awareness, that the Holy Spirit would just start to point things out. So for the next minute, I want you to just lift your voices and maybe, maybe you had a struggle and you got your breakthrough. Pray for that person like you're still struggling. What was the prayer that you wanted? Pray with that kind of intensity. Imagine what it was like to be in that place. So just on the count of three here, let's, let's just lift our voices and let's declare breakthrough over the bride of Christ today. It starts with us, church. It starts with us on one, two, three. Lift up your voices. Release your prayers. Father, we declare a release of freedom in this place this morning. Lord, we thank you. You're coming back for a spotless bride. We say, pick us, God. We'll be part of it. We'll do our part. Lord, make us holy today. Make us blameless. Make us above reproach. God, we repent for the areas that we've hidden, the little things we tried to tolerate. Lord, we bring those things before you. Just another 30 seconds. Lift your voices. Keep those prayers going. Come, Holy Spirit. Just release it in this place today, God.
Keep praying, keep praying. And Father, for the people that are at the front that were bold enough, God, God, let there be breakthrough. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, the little breakthroughs, the big breakthroughs, they all count. Let there be breakthrough. Beauty for ashes this morning, God. Beauty for ashes. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.